Well, good morning, and I too want to welcome each one here. <laughs> Greet you in Jesus' name. For our message this morning, we want to continue our study here in uh, the book of Mark. We started this a few weeks ago, and I'd like to look at the next several verses here in, in chapter 1. Uh, Mark just has a few verses on these two accounts, so we'll be looking at some of the other Gospels for some more details in these, these two these two little stories we have here, these two little accounts on Jesus' baptism and then also his temptations in the wilderness. We just had a brief introduction the last several verses here, the first several verses in, in Mark chapter 1 of John the Baptist and his, his message and his uh, going before preparing the way for Jesus. And now we have this in verse, in verse 9, this, when, when Jesus came to John to be baptized. I believe Jesus' baptism here, his baptism by John, was, was, significant in, was a significant time in John's ministry and also what we see as the beginning of Jesus' ministry. I believe it was prob- probably the the climax of John's ministry. After this point, we see him kind of, kind of uh, decreasing, as he had said. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, this was John speaking to the people. He said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, and he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So John was acknowledging that there is a greater one coming, somebody that is mightier than I, he said. And in John chapter 3, verse 30, John the Baptist also makes a comment there. He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. And I just find John's humility here just very, just really inspiring. He, he, was, a, he was a teacher. I believe he was a great teacher. He had lots of people listening to him. Lots of people came out to, to hear what he had to say. He baptized a lot of people. We could say he really had, he really had a church. He really had, some, he really had something going for him. He really had a following. And yet his message was not to draw people to himself. He was always pointing them to somebody greater. And he knew that he was just preparing the way for somebody. He wasn't even necessarily going to you know, go with Jesus everywhere he went teaching and, and be that person that does the, the moderating or the opening or anything. Most of the time, he wasn't even there. He was just simply saying, somebody is coming, and then here in this, when he baptized Jesus, it's, it's pretty much that confirmation, as we'll see, that here's the man I was talking about, now you follow him, and John just kind of steps, just kind of steps back and allows Jesus to begin his ministry, which I believe would have taken... Just a, a lot of humility, and, and I believe John had an had a accurate view of who Jesus was. He realized that, that Jesus is the one that people need to hear and need to follow. So I think we can see this, this baptism of Jesus as, as a time when John is beginning to step back a bit here, and, and then it's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. I believe John, Jesus' baptism... I know for myself, it has raised some questions already, some things I've thought about, and two questions, 
Two questions for sure, and we'll look at those probably a little later, try to answer them. But why was Jesus baptized? He didn't sin. He never did anything wrong. And the other question is, does Jesus' baptism show the purpose for our baptism or for Christian baptism? Is there, was the purpose the same? So Mark chapter 1, verse 9, it says, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. I believe this is where Jesus probably spent most of his growing up years. We don't have a lot of details about Jesus as a child. But it tells us in Luke chapter 2, verse 39, the end of the verse there, it says, They returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. Which Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and then they, they had to flee because of the, the threats made against him. They spent some time in Egypt. And then they returned into Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. And then we have the account when they went to the temple when Jesus was 12. In Luke 2, verse 51, says, He went down with them and came to Nazareth. And that's about the extent of Jesus' life as a, as a child, we would say. And then we have, we have the verses in the Gospels, which we're looking at Mark here today, where it, he, we might say, suddenly shows up again. John comes and is preaching, and, and suddenly there's Jesus. We, we see Jesus. And this wasn't, I found it interesting too, this, this, from where Jesus lived in Nazareth, in Nazareth to where John was baptizing at, at the Jordan, it's not like Jesus just went outside of town to the river here. It, it was probably about 100 miles that Jesus traveled to get to this, to this uh, point, to this place. And I don't know what Jesus told his mother when he left. Did he tell her that he's going to start his ministry? Did she understand this? Did he just tell her he's gone on a trip? Did he tell her? There's a lot of questions that come to my mind that I don't think the Bible explains, so probably they're, probably they're not significant, but I think, it's, I, think it's, uh, I think it's good to think about some of these things. And You know, Jesus, I believe, grew up a lot like we grew up as children, a lot like children grow up today. He was a human. He had that father and mother here on this earth that cared for him. And yet I believe they also understood, and he told them that he is here to do his, his heavenly father's work. We know he told his mother that when, she couldn't, when they couldn't find him there in Jerusalem when he was 12. And I believe he probably... I believe he probably continued to talk about those things. I believe it's something his parents were probably aware of. But anyway, John or Jesus had he had some traveling to do to get to where John was baptizing. In Matthew chapter 3 verse 14, it's also the account of Jesus' baptism here. It tells us that John thought that he should be that Jesus should baptize him. Jesus came and, and wanted to be baptized, and John, John thought this is a little turned around. He thought Jesus should be baptizing him. But in verse 15, Jesus said, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. So I think that's probably 
the answer to one of the questions I ask about why was Jesus baptized, he says it is to fulfill all righteousness, which I think just simply means to accomplish God's mission or to accomplish God's will, which Jesus was very well aware of what God's will and what God's plan was for his life. So Mark chapter 1, verse 9, he came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized of John in Jordan. I'm not exactly sure on, on the setting, but it was, it was at the river, or on, on everything that happened there, it was at the river, and it tells us that in verse 10 that he came up out of the water. So I assume he was down in the water there with John, down in the river. And then the, the next things that happen here are, are really fascinating, really encouraging. I believe it really, as we'll see, it really confirmed to John who this, who this Jesus is. It says in verse 10, And straightway, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened, and the Spirit, like a dove, descending upon him. There's another time or two in the, in the Bible that we read about the heaven being opened, or somebody seeing the heaven open. I believe Stephen was one when he was dying, when they were stoning him, he said, I see heaven open, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I don't know, I don't know what it, or again, I left my mind wonder a bit, what this looked like to see heaven open. It says they saw the heaven open, and then there was this, this spirit that looked like a dove that came down and descended upon Jesus. I think we can start to see here this, that Jesus is not in this by himself. Because immediately following that, it says in verse 11, there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And again, that voice, calling Jesus Son, had to be the voice of God. I wonder what the people there thought. I assume there was quite... A crowd there. John was baptizing. He usually had a lot of people listening to his teaching, and when he was baptizing, what did this voice sound like? What did it, what did it do to the people that were there? There's other accounts in the Bible when, when God speaks or people hear God's voice that they, they fall on their faces. When they see God's glory, they, many times they, they fall down. They, they don't know what to do. There's a lot of fear. I don't know if that took place here or not, but I believe these people could hear the voice of God. And I think we see a, a beautiful picture here of, of God confirming the Trinity. We have the Son, and then we have the Spirit coming down, and we have God speaking His approval as well. Just a beautiful picture of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So with these, these visual and audible effects here at Jesus' baptism, I believe this was, a, this was a very significant event in Jesus' life. It was a significant, significant event in, in John's life, and probably also in the lives of everybody that witnessed this. There was probably many people that left there that day and, and were also convinced that this is the Messiah. 
So I just ask again, why then, why was Jesus baptized? We know Jesus had no sin. He never did anything wrong. So it's definitely not for the same reason that John was baptizing the other people that day. It tells us in, John, in Mark 1 verse 4 that John baptized in the wilderness and he preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And in verse 5, that the people came there to be baptized confessing their sin. Then we have the verse in Hebrews 4, verse 15. He says, it says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. As I mentioned, Jesus said it was to fulfill righteousness in Matthew 3, verse 15. Several verses in, in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verse 29 and 30. It says, And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God, being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. It looks according to these verses, it was it was God's counsel. It was God's it was God's uh, order. It was God's will that these people would be baptized. Which I believe was was a reason that Jesus was baptized. God, the Father, wanted that of Him. But it also looks it also says in these verses that I believe that was what God wanted for each person, each person that also repented of their sins. I believe another reason is that Jesus led by example, and he delighted in doing his Father's will. I just want to read a few verses in Psalm 40. Psalm 40, verse 7 and 8 says, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. Jesus, Jesus was here on this earth, and he wanted nothing more than to do exactly what God wanted of him. In John 4, verse 34, Jesus said, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. John 8, 29, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Is that our desire? As we become Christians, as we accept Jesus into our lives, as we are baptized, as we become part of his church, is that our desire? Is that our testimony? To do the work of God? To always do those things that please him? I'm just, I'm just um, inspired again and again by the just the perfect example that Jesus left us. And as we'll see a little later, the, he, he left us that perfect example. He was sinless. And yet, we can't say, well, he never experienced anything bad because he did experience temptations. Many temptations just as we do, I believe. I believe this, this baptism here introduced Jesus to to Israel. Obviously, Jesus, there was a, what do we say, a, a, 
probably a lot of talk around the time of Jesus' birth. There was a lot of different things that happened there, things out of the ordinary. And I don't know if those things kind of relaxed over the years that some people thought, well, you know, maybe that was just a big, a big show there for a bit. But I, here, here we see Jesus coming again. And I believe this, at his baptism, was just God introducing his son once again to his people. The Gospel of John has, has really, really interesting account of, John's, of Jesus' baptism. I just want to read several verses there in John chapter 1. gives a little, maybe a little different perspective, but it tells us that John had been told that the Spirit coming upon Jesus would be a sign. In John chapter 1, I'm just going to read verse 29 through 34. It says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So I believe this was, again, the setting where John is by the river baptizing, and he sees Jesus coming, and this is what he says. He says, The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come, baptizing with water." And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode be upon him. And then verse 33 says, I, I could just, I believe this is John, he's saying, and I, because of that I knew. He says, I, I knew him not, but that he said, but that he sent me to baptize. The same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. So John had, the Spirit had told John that when you, when you see this Spirit coming upon this man, that is the one that will be baptizing with the Holy Ghost. And verse 34, John says, And I saw, I saw this, and I bear record that this is the Son of God. So I believe this was a, a, just a confirmation to John that what he had been preaching, what he had been teaching, what he had been saying has been confirmed. And it tells us back in verse 31 that this would be a time that he would be made manifest to Israel. So does Jesus' baptism then explain the purpose of, of our baptism or of Christian baptism? which we've already mentioned, that Jesus' baptism had absolutely nothing to do with, with sin or with repentance. I also couldn't, couldn't find any biblical connections, any connections made between Jesus' baptism and, and our baptism, other than that Jesus was there to be an example. In Acts chapter 2, it also makes it clear that, that baptism... Christian baptism is, is for the remission of sin. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. says, then, then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now we did see when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Ghost descended upon him. And, and, and Peter also mentions that here, that be baptized and you will receive 
the Holy Ghost. And also in, in Acts chapter 22, verse 16. Acts 22, verse 16 says, and, and now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So every time there's a, there's a baptism mentioned in the Bible, other than, other than the baptism of Jesus, it, it always has to do with, with repentance, with renouncing sin, with the desire to follow after God. In Romans, it, it talks about baptism being, being a union of us with, with, or bringing us together with Christ in his death. Romans 6, verse 3, 3 through 7, it says, Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So there again, as we are, as we are baptized, we become one with Christ. We, we die with him. So as we are crucified with him, and then we shall also, we shall also rise with him. I also found it, found it interesting that the different baptisms that were mentioned in the Bible, there was, there was times when there was large, I believe large crowds or large uh, groups of people that were baptized, but there's also quite a few relatively private occasions. We have uh, Philip and the eunuch there, they just went down, they were passing by the water and they went down and he was baptized. And we have the jailer in his household there in Acts chapter 16. I don't think there was a whole lot of people there. And we also see it throughout, throughout Anabaptist history. I believe many times because of persecution, baptisms were, were relatively secretive because of, because of the persecution that many people faced after they were baptized. Once again, I believe Jesus' baptism shows the, the unity, the trinity of, between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I think as Christians, it is, it is important, it is a must, that we also display the attitude of Jesus, of I am here to do my Father's will. So back to Mark chapter 1. We get into verse 12 now. We have the account in, in 9 through 11 there of, of Jesus' baptism. And in verse 12 it says, and immediately. As I mentioned the, the last time, the book of Mark has, has quite a few times where it says immediately. Or in verse 10 here it says, and straightway coming out of the water. It just gives the idea of a kind of a fast-paced story here. So I don't know how much time was between Jesus' baptism and his time in the wilderness, his time of temptation, but according to this, it looks like it happened, I think it happened right away. Jesus was baptized, and, and it says the Spirit 
driveth him into the wilderness. Immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. The wilderness here was probably a, a very desolate place. I was never in the Judean wilderness or in that area, but from what I've learned from studying and hearing people that have been there, it's a very, a very barren place, very desolate. Tells us that Jesus was there without food for 40 days. And there's one little detail that Mark is the only one that mentions. It says that he was with the wild beasts. And I'm not sure if that was a, a means of comfort or, an, or a means of adversity for Jesus, but Mark, Mark mentioned that there, that there was, there was wild beasts. And what those beasts were, I don't know for sure, but say as the landscape there today, there's, there's many rather large wild beasts, things like lions and panthers and creatures like that in that area. So I found it interesting that Mark put that little bit of information in there. But Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. He was fasting, he had no food, and he was being tempted. It tells us in, in Mark chapter in Mark 1, verse 13, he was in the wilderness, he was tempted of Satan. In the other two of the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, it says that he was there and the, the devil tempted him which I believe has the same, pretty much the same meaning, just the meanings of, of an adversary, an accuser, a slanderer, just really trying to get Jesus to slip up, trying to get Jesus to fail, trying to get Jesus to do something wrong. I believe many times when I read the accounts of Jesus temptation you read of those three different temptations when satan came the three that are recorded but i believe jesus was being tempted probably the entire 40 days of his time there just want to turn to luke chapter 4 for just a few more details on on the what we might call the, the climax of the temptation or the three specific temptations that are mentioned. Luke chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. It says, And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And we might say, well, what... What's such a big temptation about that? You know, Jesus, Jesus is hungry, and Jesus could have thought, well, sure, I can prove to the devil that this is who I am. I believe Jesus had every power to, to make those stones into bread. But Jesus answered in verse 4, and he said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. I believe Satan here was appealing to Jesus' Jesus' flesh, appealing to his, his physical body. His, Jesus was here as a man, and I, I know I have never gone without food for 40 days, and I, I doubt many of us have. So I can only imagine what Jesus' physical condition may have been like. 
So this, this temptation of bread, something to eat, was, was, I'm sure, a very real temptation. And yet Jesus says, it is written, the man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And Satan tries right away again in verse 5. The devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. So the devil here is claiming to have control of the world. He's claiming to be the one that's in charge. And I believe he realizes that Jesus is Jesus is ultimately going to conquer him and ultimately going to take that any power he has and just strip him of it. And this was his his chance, maybe his last chance to try to to hold on to that power. I see some of the similarities in in Jesus temptation with when the devil came to Adam and Eve. We can see that in in uh, verse 3, he said, If thou be the Son of God. The devil had told Eve there, he asked Eve, he's like, you know, hath God really said? Did, is, is there really somebody, you know, did God actually say that? Are you actually God's Son? Just trying to break down that, that belief of, of God. I believe that's what, what he is doing to Jesus here as well. And Jesus responds again in verse 8. He says, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt not worship the Lord thy thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Satan's not finished yet. He goes right on into the next one in verse 9. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God. Again, he, he asks that same question. If, if you are God's son, if this is who you really are, then just throw yourself off of here. And then the devil also tries to quote some scripture here. He says, For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands shall, they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. So here he's trying to use scripture to convince Jesus that, look, this is, this is what's said about you. Now let's, let's see if it's true. In verse 12 is Jesus' answer again. Jesus answers, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Jesus didn't try to defend himself in some roundabout way prove who he was. He just simply said, Do not tempt the Lord thy God. Each one of Jesus' responses to these temptations was with scripture. Twice he says it is written. Verse 12 he says it is said. I believe Jesus' connection to God, Jesus' understanding of the scripture, of what God's will is, is what helped him to be victorious. And then we have verse 12 here in Luke chapter 4. It's kind of the, the end of the temptation here. It says, and when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. I believe that verse there would indicate that this wasn't the last time that the devil tempted Jesus. It says he departed for a season. He didn't go away to stay. He wasn't finished. He was going to try again.
in Mark, it tells us that the angels ministered unto him. And what that all consisted of, I'm, I'm not sure, but I believe God sent angels to, to strengthen him, just to, to minister unto his needs. So how does this apply to us today? What lessons can we learn from Jesus' victory here over temptation? I believe it was after Jesus' temptations now that he was, he was ready for his public ministry. And we'll see that beginning in verse, in verse 14 then at a later time. But Jesus instantly or immediately after this begins his, his public ministry. But for the rest of our time here this morning, I just want to think about some ways that we can maybe apply Jesus' responses to temptation to our lives today. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. It says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same affliction are the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So first of all, we have the same adversary. The same devil that was tempting Jesus, trying to get him to fall, is the one that tempts us today. I believe the devil has directed his attention to Jesus' followers. We have the verse in Revelation 12, verse 17, where it says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandment of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So if we have purposed in our heart to do God's will, to keep his commandments, and we testify of Jesus Christ, I believe we can expect temptations from the devil. We can expect him to attack us. It tells us in this verse in Revelation that the dragon was, he was wroth. He went to make war with these people that keep the commands of God. I believe we also face the same, the same areas of temptation that Jesus faced. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We also have the same tools to overcome as Jesus did. We have a Father in Heaven that we can have a close relationship with. Ephesians 6 verse 17 says, The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. As I mentioned, Jesus used Scripture. He used God's Word each time to rebuke Satan. And eventually Satan just couldn't, he just couldn't stand against that anymore. Matthew 26, verse 41, Jesus told his disciples, this was when they were in the garden there just before Jesus' arrest, he told his disciples to watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. And I believe Jesus calls us today to watch and pray as well. Jesus knows what we face. Jesus faced, we could say, the exact same temptations. So in closing, I just want to go through several verses here in Hebrews yet. 
want to read a few verses. Hebrews, the first ones are in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. It says, Wherefore in all things, sorry, two, yes, wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. So because Jesus was tempted, he knows how it feels. He knows what we experience, and he can help us through our temptations. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So what I get from that verse is that the power is available. We just need to come, and we can come boldly and claim that power, and we will find grace to help in times of need. Now the last verses are in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. Says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I believe verse 1 there just, it talks about this great cloud of witnesses. And I'd like to, I'd like to suggest that that's, that's our church. That's our brotherhood. We have people around that can, that can also offer encouragement. Yes, Jesus ultimately, but we are here on this earth. We, we, do, we do church together. I believe we also have a responsibility to, to help each other in times of temptation, in times when we're failing. I believe that is why Jesus, why God has the church here. With these thoughts, let's kneel for prayer.